I mean, isn't that just the uh, uh, the ultimate of why we are doing what we're doing here today and in our lives? You see, one of these days, the Bible says this Revelation twenty one four. He says, one of these days, he says, I will wipe away every tear from your eye. <laughs> There'll be no more death, no more crying, no more sorrow, no more pain. For the former things have all been washed away. What a great day that will be. I don't know about you, but I mean, when you think about heaven, <laughs> it's not just the golden streets, if you would. It's not just thinking about our loved ones that we know are there. It's about being for eternity in the very presence of God. That's what heaven is. We, we think that heaven is all these peripheral kinds of things. But ultimately, heaven is being in the presence of God. And being able to rub shoulders with the one who died just for you so that you could be there. There's nothing greater than that, the ability to be with our Lord and Savior, to see, see God's face, face to face, and to be able to personally thank Christ for what he did on that cross. Heaven has got to excite you because that's the end result of living the Christian life here. Tommy, pray for us, will you please, before we start? Thank you, Tommy. Thank you, Tommy. We'll be in First uh, Thessalonians. First Thessalonians is um, in the New Testament. It is right before Second Thessalonians. It is close to Revelation, and it's also close to Matthew. So just kind of just narrow that down a little bit for you. First <laughs> Thessalonians five, if you would please. We're going to start looking there at uh, oh, not about verse 12 and 13, 14, right in there. And if we look at this passage as Paul is writing to this, this church and the people there, uh, he kind of gives us three commands or three urges and three promptings, if you would. Uh, in verses 11 and 12, it, uh, he is talking about uh, the church's attitude towards their pastor. Now, we're not going to read those verses today, but I will strongly, strongly, strongly urge you to go in there and study that, meditate on that, chew on that, memorize verses 12 and 13, and then be, be strictly obedient to what it says, okay? I mean, that's, that's 12 and 13. That's what I want you to do. That's your homework assignment, all right, for this week, all right? And that's all I'm going to say about those, those verses. I'm not going to preach on that, but that's your assignment. We'll look at verses 14 and 15, which are uh, 
a Christian's attitude, if you would, towards other Christians in the church. In my prayers today, we will apply that for all of us at Arapahoe First Baptist Church. That is my prayer for us today that we will be able to do these kind of things uh, with other believers that we come in contact with, especially here at our church. And then verses 16 and 17 talk about uh, our attitude towards God and some of the things that we will need to be doing in order to have joy, have the abundant life, and, and just they're very simple yet very profound. So we'll look at that, and then the last part of that of chapter 5 deals with the reward of doing what he's asked us to do. We won't get all the way through this today. Uh, I don't want to just keep us till 1 o'clock, so we're not going to do that, but we are going to begin looking about uh, verses 14 and 15 there, and where it says, a Christian's way to behave towards other Christians. That's what we're going to be looking at here, okay? This is how you and I are to act and interact with people in our church. I'll just put it that way, okay? And we can extend that to other believers, but I, I kind of want just, to just narrow it down a little bit. How we as Christians of Arapahoe First Baptist Church are to behave or interact with our fellow church members. How's that? That's what we're going to look at. So let's look there, starting in verse 14. Uh, the first thing we see here, we urge you, brethren. Brethren is always in the New Testament means Christian, means a disciple of Christ. That's who he's always talking about. So every time you see there the word brethren, he is talking about fellow Christians, fellow believers, fellow, fellow disciples of Christ. So he is speaking to us, and he's urging us. And the first thing we see there in that verse is to admonish or, or warn the unruly. The unruly. I, we got any unruly people in here? Let me see. I've got to stay here. I think, yeah. Uh, Billy, okay, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> okay. How do we define the unruly? I guess we need, to, we need to look at that. That is somebody who has broken away from the faith. That is somebody that uh, is no longer walking the walk or no longer walking in a manner worthy of their calling. They've kind of just drifted away from the gospel. When they should be ministering here at church to, the, to other people, when they should be serving the Lord, where they should be uh, uh, having fellowship with one another like, like God has called us to do, if they, if they, have, they should be helping to, to win the lost, if you would, but they no longer do that. They have decided in their lives that they will live a life that uh, how they want to live, that they now have their own agenda, if you would. They are just living a life how whatever grabs them. And, and, and yeah, they've been born again, but their lives do not reflect it. Their lives just do not reflect the Christian walk that they used to have at one point in time. I believe that's what Paul is saying about who the unruly are. And what are we supposed to do with those? When we see people in our congregation who, who have kind of wandered away from the Lord and are not doing the things that they want to do, they're just kind of living their own life. What does he tell us to do? Well, he tells us there in those verses to warn them or to admonish them. 
We need to be able to tell those people as they have, have wandered away that, that they, have, they are hurting themselves and their testimony. They're hurting the church's testimony. They're hurting the uh, Christ's tr- testimony into the world. Because other people knew at one time they used to come. And now they have, have not come and they've wandered away. And they're hurting themselves and they're hurting this church and they're hurting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, I want you, I urge you, believers, to warn them and to admonish them. Because you see, if you have truly been born again, God will not allow you or allow them, whoever it is, to just keep wandering off away from the Lord. He will not allow that. Just like a a father who has to come to his children and say, you are doing wrong and we've got to correct that. We've got to change what you're doing. We've got to change your attitude and your philosophy. God will do the very same thing to us. We've looked at in the past Hebrews 12 where he says, as a father, he he chastises or he disciplines us to to, not to punish us, not to condemn us, but to bring us back within the fold, to bring us back to where we were at one point in our lives, to bring us back to living the Christian life. And he says, Christians, fellow members of Arapahoe First Baptist Church, when we see someone doing that, we are to warn them about what, what could be coming down the road. We don't do it in judgment. We do it in love. Colossians 3.16 puts it this way. It says, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. If you are walking the walk and you're talking the talk and, you're, and your life is right where God wants it to be and, and the word of Christ richly dwells in you and, and, and you are seeking him and be obedient to him, then it says the next part of that verse, it says this, with all wisdom. If we are richly dwelling in Christ and the, his word is in us, and we're walking to walk and talking to talk. And we need wisdom in order to deal, if you would, with the unruly. Where does that wisdom come from? Where do we get that wisdom how to how to deal with that, that loved one who has wandered away? We get it from the Lord. James 1.5 tells us, if any man lacks wisdom, where do we go? We go to the Lord, who gives to all men liberally and without reproach, which means He'll give it to you when you want wisdom and you need wisdom. He is available to give it just to you. He won't ever say, well, you should have asked me about that a long time ago. And because you didn't ask me a long time ago, I'm not going to give you it today. No, that's not what his word says. He says, you just ask for wisdom and he will give it to you in a whole bunch of big buckets what you need. So if you are living and doing what God has called you to do and you need wisdom to be able to talk and to help somebody who has wandered off the road, when you need, need to be able to teach, the verse says, and to admonish one another, how do we do that, Christian family? We do it by getting God's wisdom in our lives. And we begin to seek Him and to allow Him to speak to us as we see that loved one walking away we do all of this in love and my prayer is this church is a church of love and not a church of judgment why would we ever want to do that why would we see if we see somebody a believer who's going off on a wrong road why don't we just let them go that's their choice i mean that's the decision that they've made is that god's will for us to do that 
No, we do this. We admonish and we warn of that kind of behavior. So that one day those folks will come back to us. That one day those folks, their faith will now be stronger. That they will understand that, that there really is not lasting joy and lasting peace by walking away from the Lord. That will never happen. We might have joy and peace sometimes for just a little while in sin, but that never lasts. We want to encourage them to come back to the fold. The second thing that we see there in that verse, he says, we are to encourage the faint-hearted. <laughs> the faint-hearted. Those people that easily get discouraged, those people easily get disappointed with things, those people that lack confidence, we kind of know them. Maybe they're a timid folk. Maybe they're bashful. We know that they've been born again, but the Christian life is just hard for them. They, they, they don't want to have any kind of influence in the church. They don't want to have any kind of leadership in the church. They, they would rather just, just kind of sit there and just melt away so maybe nobody ever sees them. They are timid. They are faint of heart. What are we supposed to do with folks like that? Or maybe that's you. As a church, the Bible says we are to encourage those kinds of folks and those kinds of personalities. We are to encourage them. We are to comfort them. We are to assure them that God still loves you no matter what. And that Christ died for you no matter what. We see a person whose walk is not as strong as yours. Their walk with the Lord is, is not as strong as yours. They, they are not as deeply involved in the Christian faith. And we look around and we, we see some of those folks and, and, and how easy it would be to be able just to judge them or look down upon them. That's not what he's saying to do, is it? He's saying that we are to love those people. We are to encourage those people. We are to uh, comfort those people. And encourage them. Why would he ever tell us to do that? Second Timothy 2.1 tells it this way. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You see, as a church family, we extend grace to other people. We extend grace to, to the, the faint-hearted, the ones that are not quite as strong in their faith as, as maybe you and I are. We extend that grace, and why would we ever extend grace to somebody like that? Because we have received grace ourselves. We have received the grace ourselves. And if we have received grace from Holy God, and He's given us the power to live this, the Christian life, we are to encourage those with, by grace to help them. Why would we ever encourage the faint-hearted? So that one day, as we pray for them, they will become not faint-hearted, but the strong-hearted. That their walk with the Lord will be good and strong and faithful. We're in the business of not condemning. We're in the business of loving and encouraging. We see the third thing there that, that a, a, this church has that Paul wants us to have. He says, help the weak. Help the weak. And I believe he's talking about the spiritual weak. Those folks that that kind of give in to temptation. Those folks that are pulled by this old world to go follow after that world. They're weak spiritually and they struggle with it and they feel defeated and they feel depressed because they know they're not supposed to go down that road and yet they still go down that road. 
What are we supposed to do for them? We are to, the Bible says, to help those. We are to support those. We are to hold on to those folks. We are to cling to those folks. You know, uh, sometimes people don't come as often to church as, as I would like for them to come. <laughs> but what do we do about that? Do we just give up on people? Do we just quit on people? Well, they ain't coming. I ain't, gonna, I ain't calling them. No. No. We continue to encourage. We continue to help. We continue to call. We encourage them to come. We encourage them to come. I talked to a lady just last night who I thought would be here, but she didn't come today. But she, she was looking for a church that, that preaches the gospel and, and, and that people would just love on folks. And I said, well, just come on. She hadn't been in church in a long, long time. But I encouraged her to help her. Those that spiritual weakness, Father, they just need some help. And the help comes from where? It comes from the Lord and it comes from us. See, that's the kind of church we've got to have. We've got to wrap our arms around those kind of people that maybe don't come as often. Maybe their walk is not as strong. Maybe they just have wandered off. And why do we do that? So that we hope and pray that someday those folks will come back and their faith will grow. And their strength in the Lord will grow. And their bond with the Lord will grow. And they will urge and want to have fellowship with a group of people that just love on them. Romans 15.1 says it this way. Now we who are strong, we who are strong in the faith, ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. And not just please ourselves. See, as Christians, we are to bear the weaknesses of others. We are to bear the burdens of others. He's called us to do that. And as a church, that is my prayer, that we are those kinds of people. So that one day, those that are spiritually weak will become spiritually strong. You see, sometimes a spiritual Christian walk is just not all about you, is it? It is us extending Christ's love to other people. That are not as strong as you. And the fourth thing we see there just real quickly. It says be patient with everyone. I don't, I don't have anything to say about that. <laughs> it just speaks for itself. Church family just be patient. Just be patient with everyone. When we look at these four things right here in chapter in verse 14. Where it says we are to warn the unruly. Encourage the faint hearted. Help the weak and be patient with everyone. We do that in order for us, or we do it for them. We do it for other people, so that their walk will become bigger and better and stronger. That they too will have a strong walk for the. They will have a strong influence in this old world as they share Christ with with other people. We must do this in love, and not judgment. We must do this not looking down, but helping them to look up. That's the kind of church I pray that we will be. When people come in a congregation and we don't know them, that we go find out who they are. When we know of our friends who have, have kind of quit coming, well, we encourage them and go to them and say, man, we'd love to have you back. You see, that's what a loving church does. Not for us, but for them. 
Because we know people need the Lord. We know people need to be in the house of the Lord. We know people need to hear the message preached. We know people need to be able to read and be reminded to read and reminded to pray. Paul's saying this is what a church looks like. I'm saying this is what I want this church to look like. Verse 15. Here's another really easy thing that we should do as, as, as uh, his followers, his church. See that no one repays another with evil for evil. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We all know, do we not, that sometimes somebody's going to say something or somebody's going to do something that we don't like. We know it, don't we? It's just going to happen. That's just human nature. And when that happens, what do we do? We want to retaliate. We want to get back. We want to just uh, get our pound of flesh, if you would. We're going to show them just who I am. You're not going to do that to me, and you're not going to speak to me like that. But the problem with that, that's not what the Bible says to do, does it? When we have been hurt, when we people have said and done things, when people sling evil at us do we sling evil back at them what does God's word say Romans 12 18 and 19 says this it says if possible as far as it depends upon you be at peace with all men as far as it depends upon you the next verse says never take your own revenge Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, God says, and I will repay. Vengeance is mine. If, 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 if you want to seek revenge, if you want to just get back at those folks, I'm going to tell you how the best way to do it is. This is the very best way to do it. You don't do it. You let God do it. Let God enact your revenge. Let him do it. Leave room for the wrath of God. But I'm telling you, if you decide you're going to get your pound of flesh, there is no longer any room for God to bring vengeance or revenge on behalf of you. When you take care of it, God's out of the picture. I would suggest to you, you just drop it, forget it, get out of the picture, and let God deal with it. Because he'll deal with it in the right and in the just way. But why? But why? Why? Uh, I, I, yeah. Why would we do that? Why would we ever want to go? Well, God, you just take care of it. I don't want to do it. Why would He not want us to get kind of get back? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Let me tell you. If you're a Christian, you've been born again, and you get your pound of flesh, you get your revenge, you get your retaliation against an unbeliever. Against an unbeliever. What's going to happen? You will never, ever, ever be able to minister, to serve, to help that person again. You will never be able to tell them about the gospel. You will never be able to shine the light of the gospel. You will never be able to, to stand in front of them and say, hey, God loves you and Jesus died for you. Because all they're going to remember is what? How that Christian dealt with me even though I deserved it. And you lose the opportunity to bring them back. They would probably never come back to church again if you treated an unbeliever that way. Well, what about if you 
treat another Christian that way? How about if you're a Christian and you return evil for evil to other Christians? Do you think you'd ever be able to serve alongside of them at a church? Would you be able to ever minister to them if, if something else came up in their lives? Because most of the time they'll just all ever remember not the good that you're trying to do now. They'll remember the evil that you put on them. The revenge that you put on them. And most likely those folks will leave the church and never come back. I talked to a lady just, I don't know, a year or so ago. And she hadn't been in church here 25 years probably. Something happened here on that patio right there. I don't know what it was. But she never has come back. You see, that's how we do when Christians return evil for evil with other Christians or even other unbelievers. It's hard to get that back again. I urge you as born-again believers, don't do that. Let God deal with it. Let God deal with that revenge. Because we are in the business of trying to bring people into the kingdom of God. Not keep people out of the kingdom of God. That's what he's called us to do. And we do it in love. And we do it in order for those folks to be able to come back. The last part of that verse doesn't needs no explanation. But it says, first of all, don't return evil for evil. But always seek after that which is good for another and for all people. Dirk's going to throw some verses up there that we're not going to talk about. But some verses about uh, retaliation, about revenge. Uh, if you're interested, you could copy those down. Uh, just don't take my word for it. That's God's word speaking right there, okay? You see, this is how, as Christians, we are called to interact with other people. What a beautiful thing that our church would be just like those, those two verses, 14 and 15. I'm not saying that we're not. I, I, we, we, are, we are there. But I have to remind you, that is kind of what we need to be like. Because God has called us to be like that. And then the next three, I just want to do these real quickly, I promise and you've heard these before. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for that's God's will for you, according to Christ Jesus. Rejoice always, he says. This is our attitude towards God. Rejoice always. Well, that's easy, isn't it? Man. You see, we live in a world where inflation is out the wazoo. We live in a world where the gas prices we can't afford. We live in a world where corruption and crime is just seems to be winning the day. We, we, we live in a world where the laws that have been passed by our government, it's like you just scratch your head and go, how can you ever say that's right? And, and sometimes we get bogged down with that. We get bogged down in, in, in life and how hard life is and, and what we're dealing with on a daily basis. And I get it because I do the same thing. But his word says, rejoice some of the time. Rejoice when the news is good. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says rejoice always. How do we rejoice always when, when inflation is where it's at and all the crime and all that junk? Let me give you some things in which you can rejoice about. 
God loves you. Jesus died for you. God has saved you. That is something to rejoice about. We can rejoice in the fact that God will supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory. That's something to rejoice about. God has given us eternal life. That's something to rejoice about. God's word says he will never fail you nor forsake you. No matter what's going on in this whole world, he'll never fail you nor forsake you. That's something to rejoice about. That's sure better than thinking about all the junk that we deal with here. We can rejoice in the fact that his promises are true and he's never broken one. Did you know that? Never broken one. We can stand on his promises. We can stand on his word because 2 Timothy tells us all scripture has been inspired by God. All scripture. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for for correction, and for training so that the Son of Man will be adequate, trained for every good deed. You see, what we can rejoice over that, that when we need help, when we need something, where do we go? We can go to God's Word because His promises are ever true. That is something to rejoice about. The Bible says in Romans eight twenty eight, we can rejoice in this, that no matter what happens to us, no matter what comes down the road in our life, if we love the Lord, the Bible says what? He will take that and He'll weave something good out of that For our good and for His glory. I don't know about you, but that's something to rejoice about. When when you don't understand what has just happened, when you don't understand what God is doing in your life, you can stand on His promise and say, God, I don't know, I don't get it, I don't understand it. But what I know this is you're going to make good out of this for me and for your glory. That is something to rejoice about. We get to spend eternity with Jesus. Did you know that? We get to spend eternity with Jesus, the one who died for us. That is something that we need to rejoice over. And then the Bible says, Jesus even said this one. He said, we need to rejoice over the fact <laughs> that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, let me try that again. You need to rejoice over the fact that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life, which is in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. You see, the disciples in Luke 10, they had come up to Jesus, and 70 of them had been sent out. 70. Jesus said, go get them. 70 of them. And they went out, and they were preaching, and they were teaching, and they were healing, healing the sick. Uh, The the demonic spirits uh, no longer had any control over people. And they came back to Jesus. They go, Jesus, Jesus, this is exciting. This is exciting. We've been healing the sick. I mean, we, we kept people from dying and, 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 and all these great things. God, we are so excited about this mission field that we've been on. He said, they said, even the demons were subject to us, they said, through you, Jesus. I mean, they were pumped up. Luke 10. And Jesus says, well, that's nice. Well, that's good. But he says, you need to rejoice in the fact that your names have been written in heaven. That is the ultimate thing to be joyful of. Because why? Because if your name ain't there, 
written in the Lamb's book of life, you ain't going to touch heaven. You ain't going to see heaven. You ain't going to be around it. You ain't going to get a sniff of heaven. Bottom line, if your name has to be written in the Lamb's book of life, for that is the only people that will be able to be in the presence of Jehovah God forever and forever. I think we need to rejoice that all of our sins have been forgiven and you have been cleansed from all unrighteousness. You see what I'm saying? The world might be going nuts on us, but we have something to rejoice in. That's just a small list. That's maybe nine or ten things to rejoice in. I guarantee if you sat down, you could probably list a hundred. I would encourage you to do that. Because, you see, the world says you don't need to rejoice. You have nothing to rejoice over. But I'm here to tell you, born-again believers, you got a ton of stuff to rejoice over. When we get down and depressed about society and life and going on and all that kind of stuff, what do you do? You get down and depressed just like they want you to do? Or you go, the Bible says, you know, my Bible says I can rejoice always. Let me see what I need to rejoice in. And just begin to make that list of how good God has been to you physically, spiritually, materially. List his blessings. And I promise you, it'll lift your day. It'll lift your day. And that's what we need to do. And if your day has been lifted, maybe you can lift somebody else's day. The other two, we don't really have time to speak on those today, but we will next week. Pray without ceasing. Boy, that's one. God, you mean we're supposed to walk around with heads bowed and eyes closed? But I know you want me to drive to church. Drive to work. We'll look at that next week. We'll look at in everything, give thanks. He really wants us in everything to give thanks. How do we give thanks for that? Well, we'll find out next week. So your homework assignment is this week. Verses 17 through 24. 1 Thessalonians 5. That'll be our, our message next week. Are we a church? Do we love people enough? Do we love them enough to warn those that have been walking away from the Lord? Do we love them enough to tell them, hey, you need to come back. You need to come back. Do we love them enough to pray for them? Or do we just scratch them from the roll? (laughs) Name gone, disappeared, white out. I pray this church is a church that will warn those who have wandered away. I pray this church is a church that encourages the faint-hearted whose faith is not very strong. But we don't look down upon those people. We try to raise them up so they'll no longer be faint-hearted. But they'll be the Pauls and the Peters and the Johns of this old world. Standing strong for the Lord. When we come across those that are spiritually weak, my prayer is this church, we will help them. We will talk to them. We will guide them. We will help direct them. We will put our loving arms around them and say, God's got, got a better way. Don't, don't hurt your testimony. Don't hurt the testimony of the church. Don't hit, hurt the testimony of Christ Jesus. And we love on those people. And then we extend patience to them. And we encourage them. What a beautiful model of a church. My prayer is this is our church. 
I think it is, but I think we'll, sometimes we need to be reminded. Okay? God loves you. Jesus died for you. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget the fact that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus said there's nothing greater than that. As the piano plays, Ron. I don't know how God has spoken to you. But I would just urge you to. If he hadn't spoke to you individually, I would just urge you to pray for our church. Rappahoe First Baptist. I would just urge you to pray for us. That we will be that kind of a church. That no matter what spiritual level anybody is. Or where they were and where they're not now. That as a church, we will wrap our, put our arms around them and say, God loves you. We want you back. Come and, and strengthen your faith. Because you're going down a road that, that, that God will correct you if you want to go down that road. First thing I heard about this church before I ever came. This is a loving church. We need to keep it that way. Okay? We keep it that way by, keep, by keeping our eyes on the Lord and loving other people. As the piano plays, just I'm going to ask you to do business with the Lord. If you're not in the business of rejoicing, always, good time to start. As the piano plays, we'll just let you do business with the Lord right now.